warnings will be thrown in. Crank the speakers up. Welcome, brave listener, to the Ghost Army Podcast, Episode Zero. The Ghost Army Podcast is a podcast for bolt action, covering the history, building theme into your army, the hobby, and other related games that inspire us. Yes, we are starting back up after a lengthy hiatus due to real life happening kind of all over the place. We've got some old voices that you know and love, plus some new voices with new perspectives. As some of you may or may not know, the actual Ghost Army was a top secret unit in the European theater of operations. They used audio engineering and props to keep the Germans guessing. The podcast is kind of like that too, along with the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page. Follow both to join us in this journey, and hopefully you'll learn some new things. Recently, we relaunched a reinvigorated and refreshed mission pack for your Bolt Action games. Check out the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page if you didn't catch those and keep watching for new content in the future. In this, our episode zero, we want to introduce our cast of characters by asking some basic questions of each of us. Obviously, some of these stories you'll have heard before, but some of them will be new. Now, many of you who are familiar with the Ghost Army podcast will be wondering, how is it that we've made it this far into an episode without hearing Brad's voice? I would like to take this opportunity to invite the others who are in the ether room with us, Brad, Casey, and Brian. Fellas, how's it going? It's going well, man. It's good to be here. Sorry, I I had to get in there first, Casey. I haven't... (laughs) Two minutes into a podcast and I hadn't said anything yet. I was starting to sweat. What's going on, guys? Long time, no talk. It has been a long time. I was actually timing you, Brad, to see if you could make it the whole monologue without. <laughs> I had to mute You did myself. a good job. It was bad. Oh, you, it, yeah, it was you traumatic. Did a good job. <laughs> Hyperventilating over here, sweating, sweating bullets. Man, so I got to say, it is it is really cool how all of us kind of took a took a breath from bolt action, and then kind of out of nowhere, not like forced or anything like that, just like real organically. We all kind of came back to it about the same time, and we're all starting to get motivated and interested in it all over again. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's like it's like uh, reconnecting with an old friend that you haven't seen in years. Amen, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely. And like, it's not just fit in a podcast; it all just fits so well together at the same time. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, and it's funny, the, and I think Brian said it to you in uh, a private chat, not to talk about conversations we had off air, but. It's the muscle memory for this game is fantastic. While I've played a little bit on and off for the last couple of years, I haven't really done any listing in many years. And to actually sit down last night to actually write my first bolt action army list in forever, it was refreshingly still there in my head to go, oh, yeah, cool. I know how many points that is. I know how this works. Um, whereas some other games, as many of you know, because I to talk about a lot of games i have to constantly go through a book but that muscle memory with bolt action is so strong uh it's such a strong game system the way it's written that it's easy to get back on it's like riding a bike right 
Um, but it's a familiar, fun bike to ride. It's a, it's a good time. It is. I, I'm the same way. I started building a, a few army lists for for some games I've got coming up, and uh, it, it got out of hand really quickly. Uh, I found myself building a list after list after list, and then I started building a list for my opponent and saying, what do you think of this one? How about this one? What about this? Do you have mm-hmm. this unit? Can I add that? I do want to say massive, massive props to Greg at Easy Army. Because... Man, it makes it so easy to play with all these lists and tweak them and just go back through multiple iterations. That for free, for free, the man is a legend. So, thank you, Greg. And I think that speaks just volumes to the game too. How you can stay away from it for years or however long, and then just start playing it again. It picks it right up and just flows mm-hmm. so smoothly. It does, man. It does. It does. Yeah. So, yes, I'm actually going to call that kind of a good segue. Ooh. We've got, uh, you know, we'd, we'd been talking in the build-up to this, you know, kind of some things that we'd want to talk about as an introduction to each of the players. So I have here a list of questions that I would like to pose to each of you in turn to sort of uh, refresh ourselves and refresh the listeners with uh, what's going on. So I will start with question one. When did you first start tabletop gaming? Casey. When did I first start tabletop gaming? So I'm probably the baby of the group, and I didn't start until 2014, maybe towards the end of 2013. But I remember I had just recently gotten married, which is not the best time to start a big hobby like <laughs> tabletop I was gonna gaming. Say. Still married, so yeah. But uh, yeah, that, I think I probably I'd say yeah. So it's been just a little over, I guess, right at six years. Wow! Right. I mean, I was always just uh, growing up, you know, kind of video games and sports. And then uh, in the Marine Corps, you know, started getting into 40K, but the lore and the books, the video games. And it wasn't until after that that I really started picking up on, um, well, Bolt Action was my first tabletop game. So, yeah, like a baby, just six years. Oof. Thanks. Yeah, Brad, what about you? Uh, well, I have the moniker old man Morin for a reason. Uh, and it's not necessarily that I'm as old as I let on. Um, I've met a lot of people who've listened to the podcast over the years who've seen me in person and gone, you're not actually as old as I thought you were. And I'll take that as a compliment. Thanks, guys. Um, but I have been wargaming since I, well, I've been gaming since I started basically reading. Um, I was a reluctant reader as a kid. I hated reading and it wasn't until I found comic books. And then very quickly thereafter, I found game books. One of my best friends in kindergarten, um, introduced me to this wonderful thing called Dungeons and Dragons and Marvel superheroes role-playing game and all these other games like Car Wars and Battletech. And very quickly Every book that in my bedroom was, you know, all the picture storybooks were replaced by game books. And so I've been gaming. Uh, I've been punching above my weight age wise as far as games go. And so I'm sad and old as far as gaming goes. But uh, yeah, for a very long time, maybe 40 years, 38 years ish, something like that. I'm old. Yeah. Brian. Please rescue me from sounding old. How long have you been gaming, my man? I think it was as soon as I saw a picture of a miniature. I don't think after that I could sleep until I found out what they were. So I think that was about 10 years old. Um, Eventually, Games Workshop um, 
sort of opened up stores in Australia. So I was able to sort of find out what these things were. And um, yeah, most of my early days were Games Workshop games and miniatures. And um, but I always had a historical interest. So I seemed to pick armies back then that had that bent to them, like Imperial Guard or Empire or um, things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably been, it's been, um, what is it? Yeah, at least 25 years of being into miniatures, I'd say. And you, Seamus? Yeah, uh, for me, kind of similar to Brad. Um, I, I I walked in on a friend's party. They were playing this game called Battletech as my first exposure to miniatures nice. games. And it was like the clouds parted and there was an angelic chorus as this ray of sunshine <laughs> shone upon the table. <laughs> Uh, and then I didn't play any games for years after that. I actually got really heavily into role-playing games um, like Earth Dawn, Shadowrun, the nice. uh, White Wolf Stable, and then uh, and then the shelf next to all of those books at the comic book store had this game called Warhammer back in the mm-hmm. second edition days, and I picked that up, and that started me down this dark, twisted path that I've been on ever since. So uh, wargaming, tabletop gaming since uh, mid-'90s. Second question. When did you start into bolt action specifically? Casey. And well, I guess kind of just like I said a second ago, you know, it was 2014. It was my first game. And I remember exactly how I got in because a buddy was messaging me like on Facebook Messenger. Um, like I used to play some game, video games with. And he showed a picture of like a battery of Zis 3 guns. And I was like, hey that's cool. Like, what are those for? That was a scale model. You know, I knew what tabletop gaming was, but it just didn't connect. And I've always just been a huge fan of World War II since I was a kid. And he's like, oh, no, it's this game bolt action. Uh, Here, let me send you some links and look at it. And I mean, right there, that was the first taste. I was hooked. Like, I had to have everything. And of course, you know, probably that night, uh, first real test of my marriage, I was ordering stuff online, had to get the German starter army like everybody does. Mm -hmm. And I had to get the U.S. starter army um packages started showing up and well we all know that downward spiral that goes on yeah um and so really i think that's when i started really i mean you know like we all do i love to look at my first figure what i painted back then you know too heavy of paints not enough didn't use washes mm-hmm. so it's real fun and i still have that first mini but Started kind of playing, you know, get everything assembled, started with a German army, started with U.S., eventually getting up to, what, half a dozen armies, maybe probably more than that even, eight, nine, ten at one point. We all know how that goes, though. Oh, yeah. What about you, Brad? Um, I could talk about this all day. In fact, I usually do on uh, Cast Dice, so I'll try and keep this short. I was a hyper-competitive uh, travel to all the big events across both the U.S. and Australia, Warhammer 40,000 player. And then eventually I kind of burnt out on the competition side of things. But I still loved the the social aspect of gaming. It was, it was you know, what I knew and loved and had been loving for years and years and years. And so I, I tried a game called, you know, Warhammer Fantasy. Um, and that's where I was introduced to gaming podcasting and got very excited about all of that. And along the way, one of my fellow gamer podcasters was a gentleman named Dave of War. Many of you will know from the original LRDG crew. And Dave and I were very excited about World War II gaming. Um, and 
the pre-release for Warlord started hyping up uh, Bolt Action as a, as a game system. As an old Warhammer 40,000 guy, I absolutely loved that it was by Rick and Alessio. It was very exciting. Dave and I both pre-ordered the book, and not to say we got it early, we got it like when the game came out, and yeah, uh, we both bought German armies, uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> like everyone else, and yeah, from there, it's just been a long, twisting journey, and Bolt Action's been probably my main game system ever since. It really does remind me of the, the great days of Warhammer 40,000, when sort of before the never-ending spiral of uh, codexes and everything else that you have to keep up with. It just is a wonderful game system, and I love it. Brian, how about you, man? What do you think? Um how long have you been rocking the old bolt action? Um, so yeah, I, I picked up bolt action at the end of 2013. I had sort of had a bit of a break from gaming and hobby for a while and I was looking for something to get back into, but um, a lot of the games workshop offerings at the time weren't grabbing me and I really wanted to do a historical game. Um, I was playing flames of war for a little bit and um, I'd always wanted an Australian army in the Pacific and they didn't offer that um, theater at all. And Bolt Action came along and 28 millimeters, a great scale to paint. So I just jumped in and bought a, a bunch of models I could convert into Australians in the Pacific. And then within a couple of weeks, uh, Moab, which is a big convention in Sydney was on and I uh, popped in just to have a look. And that's where I met Brad and Patch who are mm -hmm. both playing each other at a table. Um, a new Brad from 40 K days. And then that's right everyone was really friendly i could see bolt action and happening all around me and it looked like a great game so that was me i was in and um yeah ever since been playing and painting seamus how about you at the risk of sounding like a broken record i followed a path similar to brad uh <laughs> i had uh, i had played uh, a world war ii set called battleground world war ii mm -hmm. back in uh, the early 2000s uh, really cheesy sculpts, lots of tables and stuff like that, but it was a lot of fun. I've always been really drawn to historical wargaming. Uh, my buddy and I had been trying to find a set for uh, American Civil War, uh, so we tried out a number of rule sets before settling on Black Powder and just really enjoying that. And then one day he shoots me an email and says, hey, the company that makes Black Powder is coming out with a World War II game. You like World War II, right? And uh, yeah, so I was uh, I was a pre-order, got it uh, shortly after it was released, and um, I, I jumped in with Germans. Uh, I wanted to do American Airborne, uh, but uh, my buddy bought an Airborne Army before I had pulled the trigger on anything, and I didn't want to mm -hmm. be in that embarrassing situation where you both show up to prom in the same dress. So <laughs> I went with the. Uh, yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> Perhaps equally embarrassing, I went with the uh, ever-popular War Games Factory Germans. Ooh, uh, ooh. Yeah, and I built an entire army out of those. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it uh, it led to many armies uh, since then, and I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm improving since that first one. Man, your stuff looks great. So yes, it, it it has. But man, what is that? The first taste is free or cheap, and with those War Game Factory Germans. There was a lot of Germans in that box for not a lot of money. So you got your first army on the cheap. And then from there, bolt action got gotcha. you. Yeah, exactly. And they, if you caught, they, they did real uh, uh, regular sales. Like you could get a couple of boxes for, mm -hmm. what was it, like six bucks or something ridiculous it was like that. I think a lot of Soviet armies started that way. Oh, yeah. So uh, we've talked about a few different systems before finally finding our way to bolt action. 
what drew you to bolt action in the first place? Casey. So kind of how I guess how I hit on, like I'd always loved World War II, you know, my grandfather, my dad watching all the World War II movies, had watched all the shows, studied it, books, um, played a lot of computer games or video games with it. But I think, you know, once I saw those models or those minis, I should say, kind of just really brought to life and I could put my hands on them and play them. That was just so intriguing to me. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, once I got everything put together, I reached out on Facebook, like a lot of us do, trying to find a group to play. And I know who a lot of y'all are familiar with, um, especially the Boltax community, Oscar Barella. In what a San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> so just uh, two hours south of me, because uh, I'm in Austin, I played my first demo and it was just, I mean, it it was like a drug. I was like, oh, this is this amazing. Like, this was a video game in 3D right in front of me, like putting my hands on it. And I just couldn't quit. And it was just, the rules were simple to play. It still had, you know, it was easy to play, but it had still a lot of depth to it and uh, complexity. And I hadn't even scratched the surface of what I did, you know, four years down the road and playing all these competitions around the United States. But I went in there, just, you know, brand new player, never having to playing a tabletop game. And within two hours, I was a veteran. It was no problem. Barely yeah. looking at the rule book, maybe consulting a chart. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I, you don't really find a lot of games like that. I mean, they're out there and everything, yeah. but everything was so easy to keep track of. I didn't have to go you know, looking back for everything. There wasn't a new codex every month, which some places do. Mm-hmm. So, or four codexes was, this month. <clears throat> oh my. I can't even keep up anymore with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was hook, line, and sinker. Just the community that I had met and started becoming friends with, um, it was just so great. And then the minis were great. The price was right mm-hmm. compared. You know, I had some buddies that were under 40K at that point. Looking at the cost of, you know, a Panzer IV to a Lehman Russ, I got what you get two Panzer IV for the cost. It's probably three now. Yeah. So oh, just, you know, with those variables in there, it was, there was no turning back. And of course, here we are. Yeah, right. Brad, what got you into it? Uh, well, as I just said, um, I mean, the the fact that it was a Rick Priestley, who I'm a massive, un, unrepentant fanboy of, uh, it was a Rick Priestley slash Alessio rule set. And Alessio, of course, writes great games as well. Uh, and as you say, I mean, both of those guys, Alessio in particular, is famous for writing rule sets that are easy to pick up and then to play with, but have that complexity so you keep playing them it's not just that as you said you can easily pick it up and become a master of it quickly you can but then you you know there's the depth that you can dig your teeth into and both that aspect of it plus when i was a kid when i would sit down with my dad my dad i didn't watch a lot of tv growing up my my parents weren't big on that but besides the friday night a team miami vice experience the only other thing I really watched was bad monster movies and like Battlestar Galactica, but like shows like Rat Patrol, uh, Hogan's Heroes, MASH, and movies like The Guns of Navarone, Force 10 from Navarone, uh, and countless others where Eagles Dare, just countless World War II movies and, you know, American soldier television shows that my dad would like to watch. And so we'd sit down and watch those. And so for me, that that always sort of felt like home. And so when you are combining both the cinematic aspects of World War II uh, and Rick Priestley slash Alessio, I was sold. And having played the first couple of games, I literally stopped playing fantasy pretty much 
on 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 a dime in a hard turned into bolt action. And though I talk about a lot of games on Cast Ice, um, I think the game system, if you listen to that show long enough, that I'm always comparing other things to is bolt action. So for me, that's what drew me to it. Brian, how about you? Um, I've always been fascinated by military history. I think even when I was playing fantasy and science fiction games, just even then I would be converting those sort of armies into historically themed ones. Um, and in my early hobby career, there just wasn't the the quality of miniatures or rule sets for historical games when mm -hmm. I first started. And I think Bolt Action ushered in, um, alongside a lot of other games, a really um, high quality wave of like historical rule sets that were accessible had beautiful miniatures um, and were fun. So it just ticked all the boxes um, for me. So yeah, that's um, that's really why I, I grabbed Bolt Action with two hands when I first saw it before I played a game. But then once I played a game, it, it really grabbed me as a rule system, let alone the setting, just the actual rules, mechanics, and the order dice. Mm -hmm. um, it's just an awesome rule set, so much fun, and it's really rewarding to play because no matter what you're doing, um, even if it's just putting a pin on a unit, you're getting rewarded for doing things like constantly. There's no sort of dead space in the game where you feel like you can't do anything or nothing's worth trying or you're getting smashed, like no alpha strikes, none of that stuff. You're just constantly engaged too with your opponent. I think it's just a great rule set. Well said, man. Well said, yeah. And Seamus, how about yourself? Yep. So uh, for me, it was uh, an unrepentant fascination with uh, World War II. You know, like uh, my dad collected movies growing up. Like when they moved to a small town in North Dakota, my dad had more movies than the local video store did. Oh, yeah. So like a lot of the movies you mentioned, Where Eagles Dare, the Navarone movies, any of those, I could watch them anytime I wanted to. I, I'm pretty sure at one point in junior high, I knew every single line of Patton. So it was just oh, wow. World War II was like a thing from like summer camp, you know, I brought a book about uh, World War II uh, pilots in the Pacific to read on downtime at summer camp. So, um, yeah, I tried out a couple other systems. And then when, when Bolt Action came out, uh, it was, I want to play a World War II game and have it be accessible. Like, I'm not real big on lots of charts and tables and page flipping. Yeah. And that's what I liked about Bolt Action. Uh, and the other thing that really drew me to it is the the random activation, you know, playing all the other games that we've all played, the Yugo Igo system. Mm -hmm. um, that that Battleground World War II game that I was talking about used playing cards, and you would assign a card to each of the units, red and black, in your army, and then you would draw from those to determine which unit was activating. And that was complicated because you had to actually write on the cards, and, you know, if you didn't, then you sometimes forgot which card was which unit, so... Um, I like the simplicity, but the dynamic nature of the order dice mechanic on bolt action. That's that to me is like the real, the real draw for it. And it's it's just being able to put all those World War II armies on the table. Next question is a little more complicated. All right. Would you consider yourself a dice roller or a paint slinger? And by that, I mean, are you a person who plays bolt action and war games in general uh, for the gaming aspect, the, the rolling of the dice, the list building, the numbers crunching, the uh, perhaps the, the taste of tournament victory? Or are you one of those people who's like, no, I really need to master the raindrops on splitter muster pattern smocks? Oh, Casey. Yeah. 
So this is going to be a roller coaster answer with some ups and downs on it. So the thing is, I mean, if you take the whole my whole bolt action career, so to speak, at first it was just wanting to roll dice. You know, just I would do the whole uh, once I finally learned it, just the whole you know khaki spray, a wash, quick highlight, boom, there's my army because we all know you know it needs to be painted. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just craved like getting in as many games as I could, like you know the guys and girls you know i've met mostly still some of my best friends now to this day that i met through this game so each game like i was just craving that friday night when we would have games that weekend uh the next competition and i wasn't really i researched some you know my armies the paint but i wasn't you know real particular a green was a green on a helmet or i shouldn't say that that's more like you know it's a dark green it's fine i wasn't too concerned about it and you I realize millions of neckbeards just cried out in terror. <laughs> yes. And then and we're gotta, suddenly silenced. <laughs> yeah. And you got to understand, though, you know, I'm coming 20, you know, six years ago. Uh, I, didn't, I hadn't done tabletop gaming, so I didn't understand, you know, how big of a deal it was to have this whole, you know, exact color shade. And I was very naive back then towards all of it. But I got to a point, you know, where I was playing like three or four games a week which is just absolutely insane to my, you know, dad brain with a toddler now, like, oh, is this at work? And so, you know, it was all about that. And then I think the more I matured a little bit, kind of moved a little bit away from the super heavy competitions and really just come to a head now since we're in the middle of this current pandemic is I crave and I love the research, the paint, and not getting the exact paint shade because I've gone down some you know, rabbit holes trying to find that exact shade and buying like, you know, another khaki color that looks just like this company's, but you know, it said this in this paint guide. I love just, you know, finding this hunt, you know, getting the research of this army, yeah. getting these colors down. You know, there are sixteen different shades of dark green through Vallejo. I won't even get started on Citadel and stuff. So, you know, I really got into color theory, especially with you guys, uh Brian, with your help, Brad, Seamus, uh course my man patch 97 different shades of orange brown who even knew right but so really like i mean it just kind of it's my whole career it's kind of gone from all about the dice to where i love the research now i love the paint the modeling aspect i'm really starting to get into like kit bashing because i was never good at it so that's where i'm at i hope that answers your question because it was a little more complicated than the other ones they're all going to get more complicated <laughs> it did answer it though that was a good one okay brad do you like the dice or the paint uh, i am very much like you i started out um coming from a very competition it wasn't necessarily competition i mean yes i was playing competitively yes i was playing to to get as maximum points at an event and so as part of that i i had learned to appreciate painting to a bit but it was painting to to an end and that end was to get maximum points for painting for events that i was playing in for like warhammer Forty Thousand and for warhammer fantasy and i learned a lot of tips and tricks doing that but it wasn't really my goal i didn't necessarily love it i I loved playing the games i loved the social aspect i loved being part of the scene and um, eventually, I just, as I said, I, I sort of fell off competitive gaming. I sort of had an allergic reaction to it um, and pulled away hard from it at, at both the Warhammer and uh, Bolt Action scene. And when that happened, I had a little bit of an identity crisis of, well, why am I bothering with this hobby anymore? Like, 
the, the events are what I love, but if I'm not going to play in events, what's the point? And somewhere along that line, I shifted hard to painting. Now, for me, the goal has always, since, I don't know, very early in the piece with Bolt Action, isn't to create the ultimate face-punching army to do incredibly well in events. Um, I am a decent wargamer, I like to think, and I think that with... You know, I like to challenge myself, and I like to create armies that are historically themed that people might look at and say... You know, that isn't the most efficient thing on the tabletop. Why do you have that unit? It isn't great. And I like to then play that, and I like to win with it and have fun with it. Um, but if I lose a game, it's not going to ruin my day now. And I'm not trying to win all the trophies. Um, I did that for Warhammer 40,000, and it, it gave me a lot of stress, and I don't have time for that in my life anymore. So for me, it's... I love doing the research, as Casey said, finding out those weird loopholes, not even loopholes, those weird little footnotes is what I'm trying to say, of history where there was a cool unit that dressed in a certain color, like the Macon Island Raid Marines who wore black, um, or you know, thin snowsuit troopers that went alongside a T-28 but didn't have all the other crazy stuff because they were just plain Jane, um, you know, troopers like how do you create something that matches that theme of that time and place and how do you get that on the tabletop and then play games with it auto sahariana uh, italians in armored cars zipping around the place like um the lrdg except with way worse rules like that just sounds fun um to do something different and weird and to bring it to uh, the tabletop because there's so many great parts of world war ii to do that and so yeah it's i guess these days it's more painting and researching and then bringing that to the table but it's for the fun not to to win if that makes sense brian how about you um i would say that i am definitely more in the playing with my mates um situation in the garage or the club um, i love that um i especially love historical matchups um really helps with the immersion and and mm -hmm. sort of you know, relieving that history a little bit, um, especially because a lot of my, or all my armies for bolt action are pretty researched, very specific um, units. So that helps me then, you know, see that out on the, on the tabletop. So I'm definitely more of a, a social gamer, historical matchup sort of player. And I would say, yeah, I'm very, very heavily into the painting and converting or modeling that's needed to get those forces to come to life. Um, they're usually quite, um, unusual forces, I'd say, mm -hmm. um, not, not so typical ones, sometimes requiring, requiring a bit of uh, conversion work. So I do really enjoy that part of the hobby. See, when you said, when you started by saying gameplay, I immediately went, what? The guy who writes all of the bolt action Alliance painting guides is the, is the gameplay guy. When did that happen? But yeah, no, <laughs> the way you said that. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't paint them, the models just to sit on a shelf. Like I really want to play. It's like I'm, I'm, if, and if I'm not playing much, then I'll get to a bit like Patch. I'll stop painting a bit too. So it is linked. I think, uh, if, if I'm honest, I'm kind of bang in the middle. Um, I think it's uh, no secret to anybody who's ever rolled dice with me. Uh, I have lost far more games than I have ever won games, but that's never bothered me as long as the game was good. 
-hmm. Like, it, you know, I don't care that 70% of my army was wiped out, but we can laugh about the fact that both of our artillery and uh, airstrikes got called in on our own troops instead of each other. Uh, you know, as long as you've got that good memory from the from the game, that's what it's about is that that good time playing the game with a friend. Uh, as as I've gone further and further along in the hobby, though, uh, I've really appreciated guys like you guys, like, uh, you know, Brad, your very particular style, uh, you know, Casey, the way you research and then just immediately replicate that on the table, yeah. uh, patch in the 72 layers of shading or, you know, <laughs> Brian's Brian. just breathtaking and. Uh, you know, our, our, our buddy, uh, Kieran up in, uh, up in the UK and like kit bashing, that's something I've really started, uh, trying to play with in, mm -hmm. in some of my work now is just trying to better myself as a, as a hobbyist too. So kind of in the middle. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I enjoy the game overall. Nice. Really well put. Now for the next question, I'm afraid I have to go to that horrendously cliche and common question what are you working on right now i feel like i should be wearing a games workshop t-shirt <laughs> just walked into the store and, hey man what are you working on casey what are you working on man okay so quick background though on this um as you as i mean you two know not everybody knows i've been away from the game for probably about i would say around two years just uh with having a kid, you know, getting promoted at work, it just obviously being super crazy at work and everything, yeah. it just kind of really got further and further away from bolt action. There was nothing wrong with it. You know, maybe I got a little tired. I had collected all these armies. Um, I had gone to an event that was, you know, being competitive is fine. You know, like you said, competitive, historical games, whatever. There's something for everybody. This event got a little too, like, I had friends that were getting, like, annoyed with each other, and it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And so I kind of just started, you know, slowly stepping away from the game. And kind of like I said earlier, this was my first game. So now that I knew how to paint, how to base, how to roll dice, I was like, what other games are out there? And of course, that just led to just a, de just a deluge of games. God, I can't think of how many games I've painted armies for, how many different games I've played in the last few years. I don't want to know. I hope my wife isn't listening to this. But um, so anyway, I was away from the game. Obviously, with all of us getting back into it, it just felt so right. I got some Germans that I had. I started painting them till I was like, it just, I, it wasn't clicking for me. And I was like, what is, I've painted Lord knows how many Germans, at least mm -hmm. probably 200 Germans. And of all sorts, splinter, camo, you know, field gray. How many shades of field gray can one man paint? So I was like, why don't I do something a little bit different? What can I do? And also around this time, really a couple months ago, I've gotten a real big interest in um, the Pacific War, especially naval stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll probably, I'm sure we'll talk about that sometime. And I was like, what, you know, it would make sense. Why don't I do Japanese? I've never painted Japanese. I don't know much about them. So right there, it already intrigued me because it tickled that thing where it's something I don't really know about. So there's that research thing that we're talking about. And I've just dove headfirst, just books, um, movies, documentaries, everything. Just been fascinated learning about all of it. Um, I can really recommend uh, Dan Carlo's Hardcore History. Oh, he yeah. has a Pacific War series right now that's just incredible. And that's actually where my Naval War uh, Pacific uh, fascination came from. 
So right now, to go back to your original question, uh, I had the Germans, threw them to the side, and I am just in love with painting a Japanese army right now. It's probably going to be 600 bamboo spearmen. So, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm, right now, I'm, there's yeah, no comment. So I'm focusing on a, kind of the Guadalcanal right now. Yeah. With some guys, I've ordered some Warlord. Uh, they should they're in route, hopefully across the Atlantic right now. And I just have to put a plug out there. I don't know if other people have seen them. I know I've shown them to you guys, but Eureka miniatures Japanese are so good. Right. First off, they're proportioned so well. Um, they stack up great, especially next to a Warlord's uh, jet plastic Japanese, which I actually have a couple of. But these are some of the best minis that I've painted in a long time. And I, you know how much I love Artisan and some other ones. Uh, the Assault Group Japanese I have, they're great. But these Eureka minis are just fantastic. Yeah. I cannot wait to get more. And for anyone listening, there should be Eureka Minis USA. It's having the full line hopefully about a week from now, so towards late September. Awesome. So that's what I'm doing right now, Japanese, and I'm loving it. There's just so much flavor in there. I think their rules really represent uh, you know, the immersion factor with it. So I'm excited to get those on the table. It's obviously going to be a learning curve. I don't think they're the easiest army to use. They're not like you know, US, for example, but it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. What about you, Brad? What are you working on? So I kind of went down a weird rabbit hole with Bolt Action a couple of years ago. Um, while I've been playing <laughs> a lot of other games because of Cast Ice, <clears throat> I started a G.I. Joe versus Cobra um, Bolt Action experience. And so I have a full, massive Cobra from G.I. Joe and Cobra, the 1980s cartoon and comic book army. And I'm working on my G.I. Joes at the moment. Um, but that isn't probably something I'm going to talk about on this podcast a lot. <clears throat> so getting into a little bit more historical uh, basis, the last army I was working on was a snowsuit Finn slash Soviet army because they were, they're all wearing snowsuits and they're all carrying rifles. It kind of worked both ways, but the models, the lion's share of the models in that army were Finn. And I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to finish that, um, pun intended. So I, have a T28 that I am currently paneling white so I can chip the green paint from underneath it. So I have the T28 to go with it. It's a continuation war force. And so I need more basic riflemen. I have everything else in the army painted. Um, so I need, I think I need to paint 12 riflemen in snowsuits and a lieutenant. And I need to finish the T28. So Plenty to do there, uh, and when I finish that, I want to get into something else a little. I want to do something different, um, and so I'm either going to do a Japanese paratrooper army. Uh, the models are from Company B. Uh, I have, I, I did have them. I sold them to a friend. He sold them back to me, uh, and so I now have them in my paws again. They look great. Uh, I'm somewhat keen to do that but given that casey's doing japanese at the same time i am kind of cognizant that i don't want to step on his toes and um i was i was laying in bed reading the the wonderful uh fortress budapest book hi brian and um i was getting romanian feels so we'll see i i i need to finish the fins and once that's done um I will figure out what my next bolt action army is, but I want to do a new army. Uh, given that, <clears throat> given that Melbourne's had a lot of shutdowns, I, I have a lot of painting time at the moment, and um, that would be great. But that's so me. Who all, 
Who all makes, real quick, who all makes minis for the Finns? I know Warlord has them, right? Yeah, Warlord has the snowsuit ski troops that work almost perfectly for both Soviets and for uh, the Finns. Now, you might say, do they actually work for the Soviets? Well, if you look in the Soviet book, they have a picture of Soviet ski troops uh, as, as in a drawn picture, not an Ill, a picture of a photograph of models. And that pretty much matches the Finn snow troops perfectly. So... Yeah, I know that the that warlords since that time put out Soviet snow troops, and they are probably a better representation. I really need to stop using them as Soviets and paint my own Soviet army. However, um, so they make great ski troops, uh, but if you're looking for more snow troop uh, snowsuit troopers, I mean, we could talk about Baker Company, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> Just about don't say it. I actually so hey fun trivia when I first got into the game it was right about the time of that whole Baker Company controversy I think yeah those were yeah and I mean I think there's people still waiting on their Kickstarter to be I've, I've got a buddy who's got a whole uh, Soviet army uh, and a Finn army painted of Baker Company brutal I in in, in, in packing to move bases. house I found <laughs> my 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 Finn Kickstarter <laughs> I have an entire. Finn army of Baker Company snowsuit guys that I haven't used. <clears throat> but we're not going to get into that. Um, yeah. But uh, so for me, Brigade, their ends of the earth range have several blisters of Finn Winter War snow troops. Uh, and of course, they're the same snow smock outfit that they had for Continuation War. So they work perfectly. And there's riflemen, there's a machine gun team. Uh, there's a lieutenant. So there's a lot of character in there that you can pull out and then use. And that's where the majority of my models came from, the brigade range. Um, but I have worked in some warlord models. I have worked in uh, one Baker Company model. And um, yeah, they're, they're, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very cool army, although that much white, whew, it's a little hard. It's a little hard. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I love it. But yeah, so that's where I'm at. Um, but I do have full painted vehicles, uh, like a Komsomolet uh, artillery tractor. I have some trucks. I've got uh, the T-28 that, of course, I'm working on. But then I've got all the snow troops. Now I'm thinking, hmm, do I paint a, uh, do I get a Soviet light AT gun to, to give myself a little oof? I don't know. All of which is very historical and all, but I need to figure out what's really fully in my army and come up with a list because the list that I have is not existing. Uh, I also do have a heavy autocannon, a Bofors gun with Finn crew converted and ready to go. I just have to paint it. Uh, so, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So very cool. And I have a reindeer sled to pull it. Thanks, Baker Company. So, yeah, of course, that's not historic. I need to figure out what I'm going to use for an arty tractor for that because, yeah, got to pull it on the board because it's a heavy uh, autocannon, and that isn't allowed to be pushed. So we'll get there. Anyway, that's what I'm working on. Seamus, what are you working on? And then we'll ask Brian. I, uh, as you guys have seen uh, back in the, it must have been the 90s, I was sitting on the couch watching A Bridge Too Far with my dad. And uh, Robert Redford's character, for me at the time, was the coolest character in that whole movie. Julian Cook, just the way he's like sarcastically addressing the troops, knowing they're about to go into the, the mouth of hell. 
And uh, I remember turning to my dad and saying, what is the AA patch on their sleeve? And that, that started this whole fascination with the 82nd Airborne. Um, it was actually the first army that I wanted to do when I started bolt action. But uh, again, my buddy who I was playing with at the time before I realized there were other players in the world, he did a whole Screaming Eagles army. Uh, bare metal on the table. It was great. <laughs> but uh, uh, since he moved away and uh, I just got to that point, you know, we were talking earlier, you get to 10, 12 different armies. I got to that point where I said, you know, I want to do an army that I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I started on uh, 82nd Airborne and I said, you know what, I'll do like 800,000 point force and, uh, you know, keep it simple just so I could throw some paratroopers on the table. And yeah. And then my buddy was selling some offensive miniatures to add to the Warlord miniatures I already had. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I'll get those. And oh, Victory Force has some. And, oh, there's some uh, Warlord ones that I don't have. And there's some more offensive ones. So mm-hmm. uh, 2,200 points later, uh, I, I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches on a very large American Airborne army. So cool. um, I painted it for nine months straight, which is probably the most insane hobby thing I've ever done. And uh, I got totally burnt out on painting them. And then three months later, came back to them and did part of the basing for all of them, and they got burnt out again. And then recently, just uh, it's around the time of Market Garden every year that I start getting that interest in working Mm -hmm. on the airborne again. So this year was the year, and I finally uh, got the basing done, and I've got just a couple more models to paint up. Uh, So that's been a project that I've wanted to do for, what, eight years now? And it's nice to finally see it come into fruition um, and then just filling out some of my uh, uh, Italian army. You know, I've got tons and tons of infantry, but, uh, uh, you know, when, when you get a, a friend with a 3D printer and uh, you can get suddenly get <laughs> access to some of these really cool-looking Italian vehicles, suddenly you start getting interested in adding to that army. So uh, those, those are the two things that I'm really working on uh, with any significant effort. Nice. It's got to feel good to get that airborne army table ready so you can just pull units out whenever you want just to get it done, man. That's got to be awesome. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I put that last tuft of grass, the clump foliage mm-hmm. on the base of the last model, again, aside from the five that I have to paint yet. And it was like, whoa, yeah. this has been a two year journey, but it was it was amazing. And uh, so the last couple of days, you know, we were talking about earlier, just list building. I've been crazy list building airborne forces and it's cool because i'm going for more of a historical attack so no tanks the only vehicle i have is a jeep mm-hmm. uh you know a light howitzer or in a, a 57 millimeter anti-tank gun the gliderborne stuff so uh, trying to keep it historical and and looking cool so yeah i'm over the moon to have these guys finally done that's awesome man yeah it's such a cool feeling i mean it's it's like that uh that meme that the Star Wars with uh, Ben Kenobi walking down the the walkway at, at Camino, where they're saying we have ten thousand done and ten thousand more on the way, and uh, for you, it's <laughs> you finally got the ten thousand done, and yeah, no more on the way. I guess five more. No. But yeah, but yeah, including a second light mortar. I I don't want to sound like the OP uh, power gamer there, but I do have two light mortars in my army, guys. I'm sorry, <gasps> can't yeah, be friends anymore. <laughs> Can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm working on just a single project. I've got, uh, I think last count, I have about seven or eight painted bolt action forces. So I'm kind of rotating around them and adding units that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. 
especially since a lot of the forces that were sort of collected early in my bolt action career are missing things that weren't, I say, optimal back then in the rule sets, but I now appreciate and just want to have a complete force for each. So mm-hmm. um, I've got Russians. Uh, I'm painting at the moment some infantry and some scout vehicles to do uh, a mechanized sort of cavalry force that was um, in one of the in Fortress Budapest. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some stuff happening there. I'm, I need to update my Africa Corps and get some medium machine guns and mortars and sort of support teams painted in there and, and some Panzer III's. I've got a platoon of those to put together. Nice. And Hungarian paratroopers. Um, got a little platoon of those primed up and ready. Um, so once I work out how the camo is going to work on those, they'll get painted. But Man. yeah, I like to jump around to sort of keep things a bit fresh because I've I have painted the bulk of all my armies and now I'm just sort of adding extra units to them at this point because I don't think I need that many more forces. Man, when you start talking about Hungarian paratroopers, if you go back to the old uh, Gap episodes, I know that you and Anthony both mentioned them in early episodes. Maybe one of those topics that we have to go revisit one of these days to uh, to, to to tease out because it's just a force you just don't see on the tabletop until now. Yeah, I mean, so so awesome that Warlord made models for them because they're such mm-hmm. a um, sort of a rare sort of unit in people's sort of, I guess, knowledge of World War Two, and it's cool to be able to research them and paint them up and, and sort of work them out. So, yeah, the models are just great too. They've done a, a fantastic job. They're so good. All right. So we have uh, a, only a couple more questions. Uh, next one is, do you have a really favorite engagement or campaign? Like if you had to pick one part of World War Two that just uh, always draws you back, uh, even as you research all these new things, is there one that always catches your fascination? What do you say, Casey? Oh, man, that is a good question. Can I pick five? Like, is that <laughs> yeah, <hella? laughs> no, I haven't thought about that. This is a very difficult question for most gamers. So you got to pick one. See, so I've always liked – so ooh, this is hard to answer. And it kind of going on what you said. I've always liked Market Garden just because, you know, it's, well, The Bridge Too Far was one of the first role movies that I remembered as a kid. Um, the book by Cornelius Ryan, I've always loved it. It's one of my favorites. So that was always really interesting to me just to research. It also, um, you know, it was kind of weird. You know, it's a little bit later war when I'm not going to say the Allies were steamrolling the Germans at the time, but that was a really big setback and kind of like a punch in the face, similar yeah. to the Bulge. So it was a little kind of interesting to me on that part. Um, I guess uh, Guadalcanal kind of what I'm doing now because mm-hmm. it was such a back and forth. You know, it wasn't just this huge, you know, lopsided victory or anything. And there's just dozens of tiny battles within this huge battle. You had the air war, you had the naval, you had the ground war and just these incredible stories, books about it. So I'm going to have to go with Guadalcanal right now, mainly because I'm working on it and because obviously I'm a Marine, so mm-hmm. I have to pick that. Just going to Chesty smiles in, in Yeah, in, Chesty, <laughs> whatever Chesty is, good night. But uh, yeah, I would have to say that just because like there was you know, so many different elements involved and there's so much media on it that you could just spend, I could spend years just reading about it and learning about it. Every time... I start a new podcast, uh, audible book, or reading a book, or a PDF. Like, there's something new I learn, some letter, you know, someone's written or something. So I'm gonna go with Guadalcanal. What about you, Brad? Man, what time is it? Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Just one. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, so I could go down a million rabbit holes, but I will keep it really short and go with what I'm currently working on. Um, one of the things that fired up my thin, my re-thin fascination was a long, long time ago, I read a throwaway line about uh, a force, a Finnish force that was during the continuation war that used two T-28s. And I went, wow, that would be cool on the tabletop. And in bolt action, it's kind of rubbish because they're unreliable and everything else, um, if you're running historical kind of lists. But um, the other day, I was, my dog is very old and he needed to have a, like a, a timeout sit down. So I sat him in my lap and I was kind of flicking through my phone, giving him a, a cuddle. And um, one of the things I, I look up from time to time was that can't, you know, can I find information on that again? And not only did I find information, I found out the exact battle, the exact date, who exactly fought, like what the Finnish army composition was, and it massively kickstarted my reinterest in finishing that army. Uh, and so for me, at the moment, it's uh, Winter War slash Early Continuation War Finns, uh, and that whole neck of the woods. But... Um, if you ask me 10 minutes from now, it's probably going to be something else. So, yeah, that's... I can that. Yeah. That's why I had to preface only one choice. I, I, we, we could all come back with a dozen, I'm sure. And that's the purpose of this did. podcast, kids. Yes. So, on that note, uh, Brian, you have things, armies, entire armies from dozens of conflicts. Uh, what, what, what sort of calling to you at the moment? Um, I've actually got three theatres that I really um, enjoy collecting forces for and gaming in. Um, I love North Africa. I think that's just a fascinating um, setting. And you've got so many like different forces you could collect. They're all very different to each other. Um, I really enjoy um, the Eastern Front as well in Europe. Not so much uh, Northwest Europe, D-Day type guy. I really like the Eastern Front. I think that's quite – it's a bit grim, but I think it's um, it's quite – quite a good theater to collect and paint and game in and i also really like the pacific theater from the australian point of view so not so much the u.s marine corps or, or sort of island hopping but new guinea especially i think um something i really like enjoy painting and playing for as well and seamus how about yourself for me uh yeah it's just like anybody else there's dozens of of individual conflicts that really catch my fancy but uh uh, for me, I'd, if, if I had to pick one, it'd have to be Sicily, 1943. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, as an American, I've got that slightly American bias, and I feel like Sicily was the real turning point for the Americans, oh, yeah. the, the American Army, the Navy, and everybody. And it was when they said, you know, all right, we got to be serious here, we got to make changes, and we could do this. Um, the whole conflict, you've got Falschermjäger, you've got the the British Red Devils, you've got the, uh, you know, the American, the 45th and the Big Red One, you've got the, the Airborne, the paratroopers, you've got the Hermann Goering Division charging Panthers at the, the American landings, you've got the uh, remnants of the Italian Army, uh, you know, just so many different options for gaming. Uh, you had airstrikes coming in from uh, some of my favorite airplanes of world war ii you know the p40s the p38s it's just top to bottom i think it's it's like uh it's a real cool micro section of the entire war and there's just so many different things to to study about it so okay i want to change i had to pick one sicily (laughs) 
oh yeah, uh, can we redo this? I'm gonna pick yours. <laughs> <laughs> you convinced me. Let me look up a, a new army. Hold on. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say, and then you have to pick up Rick Atkinson's uh, series because uh, his yeah his liberation trilogy, the the section about the Sicily engagement is just uh, it's it's mind blowing. So highly recommend that if you're looking for research to to get you into a new army or six of them. I'm afraid to look. I'm not looking. Don't make uh, me look. Get behind me, Satan. Great. Your temptations. They're great books. They're good. Ooh. All right. So, last question. And it's kind of related to the last one. Uh, what is one army you'd really like to do? And when I ask this question, this is in a perfect gaming world where you have an opponent that loves that engagement as well. You've got the historically matched armies, the perfect terrain. What is one army that you would really like to do? Casey. Man, this is another hard one. I needed like some prep work. Seriously. <laughs> like these last couple. Um, man, if everything was set up just perfect, huh? With terrain, I would have to pick, I would think, North Africa. That whole campaign. Just, I would love to have uh, desert Germans and Italians, like kind of like a mixed force like that. And then the British, and then eventually the Torch Americans. Just run some sort of campaign like that with amazing terrain that goes all the way from, you know, desert around El Alamein all the way up to Tunisia. And I know it kind of like it's kind of broad, but like that whole specific campaign in that area has always fascinated me a lot. It always seemed more, um, I know this is the wrong term, but I can't think of the word I'm looking for, more of a knightly or innocent type of war yeah. before things, you know, got really, really, like, bogged down. And I guess, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Gentleman's War is, what I believe, what they yeah, called it. Yeah, you know, yeah. More, more so before, you know, everything else that happened. But I think that would be mine, North Africa. Just minis. And, you know, I had a German army at that one point. Uh, I actually had it commissioned. So I ended up selling it off because I didn't really know how to paint that well at the time. But now that I know how to paint and everything and hobby much, much, much better, then I think that might be something on my list towards later on to conquer and build up again. Well, I, I don't mean to tempt you or anything, but I'm setting up a game with a buddy of mine next month of uh, uh, Torch Era Americans versus regular Italians on a desert table. So... Nice. Uh, if you want to make that quick, what is it, 14-hour drive, you're welcome to join us. Well, I think I'm checking Southwest Airlines right now. I think flights are pretty cheap. <laughs> all right, Brad, what about you? First of all, I can't believe you can get on an airplane. Second of all, <laughs> what time of That's day it is it? Yeah. I mean, Jesus. God, I, I really don't know how to answer this question, Seamus. Uh, I... It, it, one right it's it's kind of like the last one it's there's so many options but just there, there, is there one that calls to you at the moment i i'm really loving the look of soviet tanks and i'm also loving the look of uh again uh, last night i was just digging my dipping my toes in the romanian uh forces in world war ii uh thanks brian uh but uh i think yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm in a weird pivotal point where I'm just going to finish those fins and then I'm going to figure out what I'm doing. I, I think maybe Japanese paratroopers really also called me. They are such a weird force. And I don't think they are necessarily going to be, if you are playing them historically, the, the best <laughs> the best force against a, a well-rounded bolt-action army. 
but if you were going to play matched games, that could be really cool. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think something like that. If I could build any bolt action army right now, it would be one of the four unpainted armies in my garage. If I'm allowed to answer that way. <laughs> Do you want to give us a, a little hint about what those might be or, uh, which yeah, okay. tease it out yeah, and so, give us a little bit more. Okay. So we have, I've got one, but one, one box of shame or, or box of opportunity, whichever one you want to use, um, which is all Falchim Yaga for Italy. Um, Monte Cassino, or whether you want to paint those. Um, I've got an Imperial Japanese army ready to rock. Um, I've got uh, version two of my Australians in the Pacific. Um, that was my first bolt action army, and it was all painted. Um, and I ended up uh, giving it as a as a sort of an exchange gift to the wonderful guys in Tasmania who made the terrain for Fortress Budapest for the photos. Mm-hmm. The, um, Mr. Berwick. Um, so I, I sent, I've actually sent my Australians down to him, so I don't have them anymore. So I, I want to repaint that force, and I've got the new Warlord models all there ready to go. Nice. Um, and then the fourth force, which is just screaming at me, is actually one of Brad's exes. Um, it's a full naval infantry platoon for the Soviets, all in black. Mm-hmm. So that's just ready and waiting as well. So one of those four would be what I would paint next. I, I, I may regret selling you that army, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to that. Seamus, how about you? My answer, kind of kind of a tip to the hat to Brian and, uh, and our buddy Mark Barber. Uh, it, for me, it's got to be Papua New Guinea. Uh, you know, I've got a I've got basically an entire Australian army still in blisters and bags and everything sitting in a box in a corner. Uh, the, the Papua New Guinea campaign ever since Brian clued me in on that and I started researching it just uh, uh, playing that bitter jungle uh, jungle warfare against a, a Japanese army themed you know um, mm-hmm. not, not having tons of bamboo spearmen or anything like that just a, a real themed battle around the Kokoda Trail I don't know. I don't know why, but that one is just ever since I started researching it. That's one that's always called to me. And uh, um, anybody in the Chicagoland area, if you want to start a non-kai shitai Japanese army, I'll gladly paint some Australians to to fight against you. So that's my plea. So Seamus, tell us about the intro music, because yes, the air horn from the original Gap podcast kicks it off, but then it goes to a very fantastic piece of music i wonder oh, who shucks. wrote it <laughs> oh that's 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 buttering me up yeah uh no so that was uh uh back in the the heyday when when the the cast was still going strong uh my band at the time wrote that song uh and it was it was i, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the old uh down order podcast we wrote a oh, song yeah. for a competition that sam did and it's always funny trying to talk about World War II and podcasting with a bunch of guys who don't care about history and don't do miniatures wargaming. It's 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 always interesting. So um, I tried to describe to them what the Ghost Army was, and so we wrote music for it. And then uh, my uh, my one buddy, the lead guitarist, just went down this total rabbit hole of putting together like his spin on what the Ghost Army was. So. Um, if you listen to it, you can hear, I mean, obviously there's clips from Battleground, uh, classic, classic Battle of the Bulge movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's marching cadence of uh, uh, U.S. Army. Uh, you can hear the sounds of Sherman tanks and deuce and a half trucks. Uh, we found some video footage of like um, uh, reenactors that were actually driving these and uh, uh, tank museums and stuff like that. So that's spliced into there. Uh, there's the sound of marching feet, uh, people driving tent stakes into the ground. Uh, it's just like layer upon layer upon layer of uh, sounds and it was really inspired by the whole thing with the actual ghost army would play the sounds of an army building an encampment or moving over these loudspeakers to fool the Germans into what these troop movements were. So um, a lot of the clips in there too, you'll hear the talking. We found a, a really good documentary narrated by Peter Coyote with the actual guys from the ghost army. So it was real cool getting, the, the perspective of the guys from that unit and then splicing it into this and then uh, uh, kind of using it as like, a, you know, the recordings were brilliant because the Ghost Army podcast is brilliant. So nice. that's what that is. It's just uh, it's, it's a little bit of an homage to the uh, the original Ghost Army in World War Two. That's so rad, man. So rad. And uh, yeah, completely original. Well, thank you. You are welcome. And thank you for doing it for us now. Brian, Seamus, and Casey, we are going to cut to uh, some of the newer voices on the show. Is there anything you would like to say before we uh, pivot right into someone else? Because this may be the last time we hear from you today. Uh, no, man. I'm just, you know, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be podcasting again with you guys. It was probably just one of my favorite times, and it's coming up on wintertime, my favorite time to hobby. Hopefully this stuff going on blows over, so we'll all be able to get together again, throw some dice, talk about some games played, so some hobby being done. So till next time, man, it's great to be with you guys again, and we'll talk soon. Definitely. Seamus? Same. Uh, I've got uh, two games we're trying to schedule in the in the next month, you know, uh, socially distanced, being safe and all that, but... Uh, uh, it's it's an excitement about Boltex and I haven't had for for a long time and it's uh, it's really good to be back. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's just good to be back and chatting with everyone about Bolt Action. I mean, it's been a game we've been playing for a long time, but it just doesn't seem to um, become unfun at all ever. I think it's just such a brilliant game, and there's always so much more to learn about World War II and more forces to collect. So it's good to be back and chatting about it. And um. And welcome to anyone who's new and listening um, for the first time, and especially new players to Bolt Action. Welcome. I think it's, it's a really good game. You're going to be rewarded for investing in it. Um, it's, it's not expensive. It's really fun. You're going to learn something. Um, you can try out your painting skills. It's a, it's a great game to get into. Amen to that. Now, if you are new to this podcast, and I'm sure I'll say this again at the end, I'm so excited to be doing the Ghost Army again. If you would like to see what we are talking about and some of the projects that these guys have been working on, and I might start posting some of my stuff there, um, the visual, this is sort of the audio media wing of a larger organization, the Bolt Action Alliance. Um, you can find Bolt Action Alliance on Facebook if you search it up, and you will find some of the amazing work that Brian's been doing, that Casey's been doing, that uh, Seamus has been doing, that Patch uh, has done over the years. And there's just some absolutely great A World War II hobby in there. I'm allowed to say this because my stuff isn't in there at the moment. Um, <laughs> but yes, please go check out the Bolt Action Alliance 
uh, and you will also see links to shows that we do. Um, Seamus mentioned at the beginning that we did the Bolt Action uh, Alliance 2020 uh, mission pack. It is six uh, updated and new missions for bolt action so you can play four of them are updated from the 2016 pack which were very well received by the bolt action community um, plus two new uh, two, two new missions which aren't actually technically new um, they have been around for years and we have used them in melbourne bolt action events uh, and so we have used a lot of feedback to tighten those up to make sure that they are uh, fun uh, sort of symmetrical, fair missions that you can play bolt action with uh, if you're looking to try something that isn't demolition or out of the book, for example. So please check it out. Um, go to the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page and see what you can find. But guys, I think it's time that we talk to some of the new bloods. What do you think? Yes. Yes. And we are back. And we are back with some exciting new additions to the Ghost Army podcast. Now, uh, Seamus was the host, of course, for the beginning part of this episode. Uh, I will be playing host for the second half. And uh, I'm pretty excited to introduce our three sort of new faces to the roster. Uh, these are all gentlemen, of course, who have been with us on various Cast Dice, LRDG2, and various other episodes of different podcasts over the years. They are all amazingly solid dudes. And I cannot wait to dig into their gaming history. And we're going to basically go through the same questions that the original Gap guys did at the beginning. Now, of course, I have talked about this man's analytical mind for quite a long time. But despite having a brain for tactics and numbers, he is absolutely one of the most fun guys I have played ever of course, I'm talking about Lee Avery, because that is the description I always throw out at him. Lee, welcome to the Gap, man. How you doing? Doing well, thanks, bro. New, uh, well, an old po podcast, some new faces and voices. That's it. That's it. And now you were actually on the original episode of the Warlord Games official podcast. Yes, I was uh, an original invitee, which was, I suppose, not something I put on my resume, but uh, <laughs> no. certainly... Probably got some sort of nerd cred somewhere. That's right. That's right. It's a good trivia question. Who was the very first guest on the official Warlord Game Cop podcast? Lee Avery. Uh, cool. Well, there you go. Um, now, also joining us is a man who loves to research his topics. A man who uh, absolutely knows the topic when he comes on a podcast and is able to talk about it in depth, but in a fun, cool way. Uh, a gentleman who I dug into Judge Dread with at depth of course i'm talking john john welcome to the gap man how you doing i'm doing good thanks for having me it is dude it is i'm looking forward to seeing what you bring to the table because uh not to talk up your game here but you always come prepared and uh you've always got a little something cool under, up your sleeve i know that you uh you've rocked the chinese in the past and not just because they have uh, sparrow tactics, but because you actually really dig the uh, the history behind the army and the the rules and the fluff and the whole thing, man. You converted the entire army from scratch, and that's just one of your projects. So uh, lots going on there. Yeah, look, I hope I can uh, live up to the introduction you've uh, you've given me there. Hey, I don't, I don't ever make uh, guests feel awkward. It's what I do. Um, and speaking of a man who needs absolutely no introduction, uh, he has been probably 
one of the most uh, regular guests on Cast Dice ever, and probably my most regular gaming partner for almost any game I've tried. Of course, I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend, a man who's possibly got a longer gaming pedigree than old man Moran himself. Dave Monroe, welcome to The Gap, brother. How sweet is it to have The Gap back on the air? And um, I don't know, I, I think our pedigrees are different. I, I, I shouldn't like to um, see who's was longer. I don't know if we want to delve into that particular beast. Right. But yeah, we. But you're right. We come at it from different angles, um, but both with storied pasts. So uh, you have a lot of excellent contributions that I'm looking forward to, br- uh, to bring to the party, man. Well, it should be fun. Look, you've got the analytical mind. You've got the well-prepared mind. I'm kind of the guy who's just walked in off the street and wondering what the hell is 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 up with all these wonderful little toys in the shop. Tell me about it. I, I bet. Yeah, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short there, Dave. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, was funny. Just a little bit. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's 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 dig in a little bit, shall we? Um, I have a series of questions, and it as I teased off the air it it makes me uh happy in a very uh evil way that lee doesn't know what the bonus question is (laughs) anyway slow torture (laughs) analyze that buddy um (laughs) let's get let's start through let's let's go around the horn just like we did uh, in the first half um lee why don't you tell us a little bit about uh when you first started tabletop gaming give us a little bit about uh, a little bit about you and gaming uh, I suppose the short version is uh, well, been early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate that my dad and one of my uncles were quite into science fiction and fantasy novels, books and movies and that sort of thing. They'd grown up on comics. Um, so I had access to a pretty decent library of um, books growing up. And so I used to devour those quite a lot and then I think it would have probably been around 1992 or so. I got a copy of Hero Quest, my birthday mm-hmm. one year, and I forced my dad and my two younger sisters to play it with me. Um, so I suppose that was my first miniatures tabletop game sort mm-hmm. of thing in a, in a way. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, I think it would have been Christmas of 94, we'll go with. Um, Got a copy of Warhammer 40k second edition for Christmas and um, used a bit of money I got from my relatives that year to buy Dark Millennium for supplements. Um, so I think it had only been, it had been released about six months before that and nice. Dark Millennium came out at Christmas. So I got into 40k and uh, built up a pretty decent sized workforce back in the day. So that's sort of how I got into it. Um, a local, uh, we had a local games club. Not too far from, well, a little bit of drive from my house. Used to get my parents to drop me off in the morning and uh, mm-hmm. started off a bit of D&D gaming and a lot of the guys there um, played Warhammer and 40K and a whole range of things. Uh, and we also, you know, started playing Magic the Gathering back then. Um, so that was 94 and then, yeah, got into the miniature gaming at the end of that. Yeah. I haven't looked back. And that's where I met you way back when. Yeah, I've been around 2000, I think, or early 2000s. Yeah, I think I moved to Australia 2005, 2005, yeah. something like that. Yeah, 2004, I don't know, it's all blur. But yes, Warhammer 40,000, not always a bad thing, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, some of us, that's where we come from. Um, 
Lee, does that pretty much sum up your until we get to the bolt action part of your journey? Yeah, I think that's that's literally how I got into gaming, and it was mostly um, just having that background and interest in science fiction and fantasy stuff, and then just translated into gaming. Used to play a lot of computer games in the eighties as well. Um, I suppose you know, Might and Magic, and um, a couple of sci-fi things, and oh, God, I can't remember half the titles that used to play elite mm-hmm. the original one not the new one um yeah didn't actually get a console until would have been probably 1990 i think i bought a sega master system mm-hmm. saved up a lot of pocket money yeah man. a year to get it <laughs> it was not cheap never is never is and uh not looking at that playstation 5 at the moment anyway <clears throat> let's uh let's let's hard shift to tabletop gaming history of another one of our guests now john you also started early right yeah so started early stopped early i think um yeah yeah so i uh, I'm a little worried. I think every time I tell this story, uh, and and probably several times on your podcasts now, uh, I, the, the the game I started with changes. Um, so it's not on purpose. I, I really don't remember very well. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is that um, yeah, I started sometime around 1990, I think, um, with uh, Games Workshop games. So yeah. went through epic fantasy 40k you know the skirmish games necromunda blood bowl all that um through the 90s played a great deal uh was introduced by a a friend of mine four years older than me so would have been ripe old age of 14 when when he introduced me to the uh games i think um but uh yeah uh he he had access to a whole lot of stuff um and uh introduced me to all these games and we we played them you know all the time every weekend uh over the years um and then you know as happens with a lot of people i think sometime probably when i graduated high school took a gap year went to uni um just sort of fell away from from tabletop gaming i was living in a tiny share house i don't i didn't even have a table let alone um mm-hmm. let alone any miniatures you know there, there was uh um my couch was literally just a piece of foam on the floor you know um and i got a tv sitting a, a, an old crt tv sitting on an ammo drum if i remember correctly you know um so just stopped games uh, stopped tabletop wargaming completely uh and didn't really come back to it until well i think uh, i think 2018 um yeah man uh 26 2020 now yeah it's been a couple i would maybe 2017 yeah 17 18 sometime around then but um maybe just starting in 17 certainly um really dived into it again in in 18 and and sort of haven't looked back um and uh yeah i dread to think how much i've spent in those (laughs) those years uh Mm -hmm. since i got back into it but uh yeah yeah. Speaking of which, I have some goblin models for us to talk about off air. But yes, um, yeah, yes, yeah. You you have quite a few goblins. I do know that. I do. And uh, far too many. <laughs> and a couple bolt action armies too. Um, but while we are talking old games, workshop games, uh, Dave, where did you come into gaming? Um, Airfix minis. 
those little chewy plastic Airfix minis in the 70s. Nice. Uh, uh, doing World War Two gaming and also um, uh, ancient Romans and ancient Britons um, putting those. But um, I drifted off into role playing for twenty years, and uh, and I guess it was yeah, it was probably around two thousand or so that I drifted back into wargaming again after spending a long time with uh, Call of Cthulhu mm-hmm. um, and enjoying that a lot. And um, yeah, and so I came back in through forty k as well uh, to the gaming world. And 40K was never a real love, although I played an awful lot of it. It was just a game at the time. You could get a lot of games in. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but that, that soon broadened out into, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm really just up to have a go at any game. You know, I've got a pretty eclectic collection of, of minis that can pull together for most genres. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of my world in a nutshell. Now, you r slash were a member of the war all the time gaming club um who people have heard me mention and have an honorable mention now i think both in the fortress budapest book and in the new bolt action alliance 2020 mission pack as the originators of the um original thunderhawk down mission which was the inspiration for me to write kitty hawk down so, yeah, you were one of the Watt guys. You're a Fez. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, so that, that was the, the group of guys I fell in with gaming again in the, the my modern gaming era. Um, I, I was beer Fez, um, I, uh, <laughs> not because I was drunk, but because I, I was the one with the liquor license. Uh, so I was, I, was, I was able to run the bar uh, at Iconicon there for a few years. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was fun times. Met a lot of people, and so that was uh, including you, Brad, so, yeah, right. and, uh, and Lee. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that um, arc was was and continues to be good fun. Definitely. And the Watt guys, yeah, that was one of those. Um, we called ourselves a club, but yeah, we were a regular group of people. And um, I, I guess we we ended up just organising arc in the end and not really gaming very much together at all. So we we um, um, get together occasionally to game, but nowhere near as much as we would like. We're all yeah. off in our own. We're we're all still gaming, but um, in different parts of the globe and different systems. Yeah, definitely. And for those who don't know, Arcanicon was the largest Warhammer 40,000 tournament in the Southern Hemisphere for a number of years. And I mean, not just a couple of years, like a long time. It was a big deal. And uh, I know that you uh, aren't going to necessarily talk that up, Dave, but you were part of the uh, that crew that ran the, that huge event. That, uh, yeah, we hit 200 one year, and that was that was crazy. You just about killed us. So yeah, yeah. That's, um, <laughs> about as big as you want to get. Yeah, you don't want to do bigger than that. Uh, and you know, I, I hear people in the background saying, "Oh, that's nothing compared to like you know Adepticon or whatever else." Yes, this is a, a solely independent event outside of major conventions. They rented a school to run it. Um, it was it was it was a feat at the time. And it was our a kids ended up going to that. My kids ended up going to that school. Oh, did they? It was kind of like, well, when they were looking at school age, it was kind of like, oh, you know, that school we always hire for the tournament. <laughs> that actually looks all right. That's hilarious. Love it. Love it. I think that may be the only, uh, the only time that's happened in history, but yeah. Quite possibly. Nice, nice. Well, let, let's talk bolt action. Um, Lee, let's let's come back around to you. Now, um, you picked up bolt action relatively early in the piece. Um, when did you jump in, and uh, was it with paratroopers? It was. Uh, I can't remember if it was five or six years ago now. It was some time ago. Um, I mean, all this talk about Arcanacon, um, I mean, that's 
wasn't my first 40k tournament. That was actually I took a trip to CanCon one year um, when my mm-hmm. dad was posted over there for work, and I went over for a, a weekend to hang with him. Um, but yeah, I kind of con. I played a lot of 40k there for five or six or seven years or so, uh, and the competitive 40k scene sort of got to me eventually. Um, mm-hmm. I decided to take a break from it, um, so I started playing War Machine, which <laughs> I was going to say, is, a competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a much cleaner rule set. Yeah, in a sense. So from a competitive point of view, it's much cleaner. But I mean, when I started playing War Machine, it had been out for. 12 months or so at that time, the, the second book had just come out and um, uh, I actually bought my first army off one of the Fez guys from Watt, hey. uh, who remain nameless, but yeah, I bought his miniatures of him. Um, so yeah, I played War Machine for quite a number of years and then I was looking at just doing something different and a couple of other mates uh, were playing Bolt Action and had gone into it and said, hey, why don't you come and try this? It's like 40k, but much simpler, World War II, um, you know, not as complex, not as many, uh, you know, not dealing with flyers and mm-hmm. every armor sort of stuff. So thought I'd take a look at it. Went to CanCon that year, which is over in Canberra. It's the biggest sort of, I suppose, gaming convention we have in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I was playing War Machine that year. And, but while I was doing that, I kept popping over the bolt action tables because got friends were playing and sort of checked it out and then ended up buying a uh, paratrooper british paratrooper starter army mm-hmm. war and peace games from their stand that year and that was it off i went so i turned up to cancon the next year with a paratrooper army british paratroopers and i've been playing ever since that's it man that's is it. that that same army with the weller bikes lee that you've got yeah it, it started off as a Small army. So the, the first year I took it, I didn't have the well bikes. The well bikes were the second year, I think I went to CanCon with that army. Um, and then the third year I did something different again with the army construction. And then um, we've had, unfortunately, bushfires this year cancelled CanCon. And um, the coronavirus this year has, they've already announced they've cancelled yeah. it for next year. So... Unfortunately, that's two out. So given, actually, when I played in three and I bought the army the year before that, that would mean it's getting about five and a half years since I started Bolt Action. Yeah, man. And we are definitely going to need to talk about your paratroopers and well bikes at some point. But uh, yes, we'll save that for a future episode. And uh, first episode of the Warlord cast, in case you're wondering, Lee did talk about them there and they are great. Um now, John, you, you've said you've come to gaming again recently, and Bolt Action was the game that you swung into first mm-hmm. on your return? And what, how did you go from not playing games for well over a decade to <sighs> all of a sudden, almost two decades, to Bolt Action? How did that happen? So I'm a little afraid that in answering this question, I'm, I'm going to answer the next two questions as well, but uh, <laughs> I'll do, do my best to, not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, you're right, absolutely right. Um, so I came back into uh, uh, tabletop gaming a couple of years back um, and uh, Bolt Action was the game I came back in with. Um, and it was out of, I mean, I, I had just finished my master's, I believe. Uh, that was sort of taking up all the 
the spare time that I had, mm-hmm. uh, and I was obviously doing a lot of reading for that as well, um, and a lot of project work. Um, and all of a sudden, I had this gap in, in you know this time, this extra time, and I started reading. Uh, my partner's Chinese, and and you know I sort of thought well, I should start, you know, doing some reading about Chinese history and getting a better sense of the culture and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, went on this deep dive on Chinese history um, and uh, um, various aspects of the history, but uh, certainly became really fascinated with some of the conflicts in the, the 20th century. Um, originally, um, when I went looking for, and I'm not entirely sure why I went looking for miniatures, I, I, I'm not sure what triggered that, but certainly um, as I was reading about um, the, the Chinese conflicts in the 20th century, I um, got to thinking about um, miniatures games and and went looking for um, Chinese or, you know, miniatures I could use to represent um, uh, those conflicts. Uh, and, you know, I've certainly discovered there's not a huge amount out there, a little more now than, than there was when I started, mm-hmm. but um, still not. Uh, still a lot of unrepresented stuff. Um, what I really wanted was um, uh, Chinese Civil War um, uh, miniatures, which I still have yet to identify. But mm-hmm. um, uh, sorry, I'm drifting. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that was... I started with wanting to build and paint the miniatures first. And then after that came looking for a system and I chose bolt action because it was the system that had an official rule set for Chinese armies in that, um, that era. Yeah. And it, and it does. I mean, there's lots of interwar Chinese mm-hmm. list pulpy games yeah, but to to find something that uh, you can use for some of that interwar, and then the actual World War II conflict, and remembering, gang, for those at home, that um, World War II started in China and Japan in the 30s. Um, so to mm-hmm. have that happening, and then you know, for bolt action to encompass all of that, and then technically, you could probably use it for the Civil War as well. Yeah, right? like I, I'm very much the opinion that. I mean, the, the, the civil war in China used World War II te- technology. Uh, exactly. And in a lot of cases, early World War Tech, uh, tech as well, like uh, early World War II technology. Um, and at some stage, I will, uh, I'm sure on this podcast, um, talk at de- in depth about uh, the use of tables with blankets draped over them. Uh, in place of tanks during the Chinese Civil War. Not mm-hmm. today, but you know, there's a um, yeah. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't a high tech conflict certainly, and yeah. I think bolt action would absolutely be able to uh, to work for it uh, if you had the right forces uh, and a bit of tweaking. Nice. Well, I'm sure we're going to keep talking about this as we cycle through, John, because you kind of <laughs> touched on the next two. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll come back. Um, Dave, what got you to start with bolt action? Um, was it that you had minis for it already? Oh, well, I, I did have minis. Um, uh, I went back through my blog um, and searched for the first mention of bolt action in that. And I, I found a little review I did for something called the LRDG 
that I described as a rather blokey podcast <laughs> talking about World War Two and a fun-sounding game. And uh, and I picked up the rule book in uh, November 2013. Um, and I had uh, a 28mm German army in the cupboard that I'd painted with no view as to what to do with it. I'd mm -hmm. just uh, acquired the minis uh, and painted them uh, and then, um, and then, so it was nice to have a rule set to, to connect to them, and uh, and so that was that was really so you triggered my my interest in a way, which is rather random. But there you go. I didn't know that. Oh, that's funny. Oh, awkward. Like yeah, the blokey <laughs> podcast. That, that. I'd completely forgotten. It was only that, that I'd had this written record record, you know, through the blog that I'd been keeping a blog for uh, a number of years that I was able to pinpoint it. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Dave, what is the name of your blog in case folks want to check it out? Or are we... Uh, Faith and Steel, all as one word, mm -hmm. um, at wordpress.com or .wordpress.com. So, Lee, let's, let's jump to the next question. What <laughs> drew you to Bolt Action? Was it the game system itself or was it historical gaming? For you, was it the scene? Because I know you had friends that were playing and you, you went to CanCon and you saw it being played. What, what was it that drew you to the game? There's a bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, obviously having friends playing the system and advocating for it's a, a big thing. Because mm -hmm. it means you've got some opponents, you know. These are friends that have been gaming for as long or longer than I have, so they know about different systems and um, what's a good game and that sort of thing. So that was a good sales point. Uh, models and miniatures themselves, you know, World War Two. It was a setting that I hadn't played in before. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd certainly done some, uh, I suppose, modelling back in the 80s, you know, little plastic men make some tanks and uh, assemble some figures and paint them. Mm -hmm. The old humbrel enamels back in the back in the day. Um, so you know, I, I'd sort of had a little dabble, but I think I think the main driving force was just the friends. Um, certainly, the pricing was certainly a driving factor as well. Being able to build an army, you know, metal miniatures to to play a game for under two hundred dollars locally was was pretty good. And the system itself, you know, it sold to me as oh, it's like forty k, but you know, set, uh, what do we say, third ed, 40k, or third, third or fourth? Third is, I think, what we always talk about, yeah. Yeah, it's probably the biggest comparison. So, and that was really, I suppose, for me, when I probably played the most 40k was third mm. and fourth edition. Um, so, yeah, it was quite familiar, just the concepts of the statistics and movement and those sort of things. Uh, and the order dice mechanic for me was something that was, I suppose, what was missing from 40k, and it was very much a, I had my turn. Okay, I might as well go have a drink, go to the bathroom, come mm -hmm. back while you have your turn because there's nothing for me to do except just take stuff off the table. Um, whereas War Machine, similar to an effect, although there's some reactionary things you can do during your opponent's turn and generally just shorter turns so a bit more interactive. Uh, whereas this was, I think, far better having the random water dice. I think a game system that has that Forces choice, forces risk taking, but also a bit of defensiveness. Um, so I think it's a bit more tactical in that way. Yeah, absolutely. That just sort of ticked a lot of the boxes. Nice. Yeah. Cool. John, was it something similar for you? I know that you came in more historically. 
Um, mm. But was there something about the game system that grabbed you at the same time, or was it? Did you? Was it sort of a happy accident that you came to Bolt Action? Yeah, look, it was, I mean, it was certainly a combination of factors. As I said, the primary motivator was, you know, hey, this rule system has the has an army I want to play in it, um, yeah. or you know, it's something I can build my my project around. Um, it, it didn't hurt that there was a local scene that I could quite quickly identify. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always good to, to discover, oh, look, there's people locally who are playing this. Um, so if I do choose to play it, you know, I, I'll, I'll have the opportunity to do so. Um, and, uh, you know, when I also, I, I think it, the system is um, uh, quite, straightforward it's, it's it's quite a simple system um with what i believe is quite a, an amount of depth to it like it's right it's it doesn't have you know it's, it's not particularly convoluted um there's there's some little edge stuff but generally speaking you know the armies are very similar you you know what you're getting into you don't have to have a really in-depth knowledge of everybody else's army lists to to play the game um and it it, uh, it lends itself to to real sort of pick up and play and and um yeah it's i like the system i like the the um uh the simplicity of it um and also the 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 depth of it uh and um yeah just also the breadth of of what you can do with it um i think by by its simplicity allows you to sort of quite easily adapt other um you know make all sorts of different interesting uh forces and represent different battles and so forth agreed man agreed good answer uh dave now you already had a painted german army um yeah i think um the the rules description and the engagement are through the dice mechanic that lee and john mentioned uh, um spot spot on they're things that attracted me but i but i realized that the the trigger that i went searching for a new game is both I was playing 40K and Flames of War at the time, 15 mil, mm-hmm. and both of those systems came out with new additions. And I kind of went, ah, I'm going to buy a new book anyway. I'm going to have a look around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, it all kind of came together uh, nicely there where, where I had the minis, needed the rules, looking for something new, and uh, it was all very convivial. Nice. Yeah, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you looked. Uh, and uh, you that you listened to the LRDG he says cringing. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's talk about once you did get here. And again, I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit. But um, Lee, let's talk about I know that you love a bit of your hobby. Your British paratroopers are absolutely gorgeous. And you've really done a lot of research to make sure that everything, you know, is the right color, your camo's right, the red on their berets right, the weapons are right, everything's spot on. But would you say you're more of a historical guy, um, a, a, a hobby, sorry, not historical, like a hobby painting guy, or would you say that you're more in it for the gaming or the tactics? What what What's, what's it for you? Uh, I'm a holistic participants <laughs> okay. um for me it's it's everything i know there's there's plenty of people out there that just like to paint miniatures there's plenty yeah. of people that like to play games with um models that they've opened the box thrown some glue in shaping it and tip them out um mm-hmm. i like to think i sit somewhere in the middle 
Yeah. Um, so for me, it's if if I'm going to, I can't game every day, right? I've got to go to work and mm-hmm. other commitments. So the time where I can't sit down for a few hours and play a game with a friend, um, you know, might as well do some hobby. So I spend that time trying to paint miniatures. I like to have painted minis on the table. Um, it's always been a thing for me. Uh, it's pretty early on. And it's part of the hobby to me. It's, it's not just around playing games. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of everything, really. I just, nothing specific. I mean, I do spend a fair bit of time researching what I'm building and painting and assembling. I think that's, uh, it gives me focus, stops me just buying everything um, and never completing anything. So it's better to just actually have a project and work on it. Uh, in saying that, I don't sit there and just do one project at a time. I tend to have a few different things going on for a few different game systems. Yeah. Uh, just because I can't always, you know, get a game of bolt action, but I can maybe get a game of War Machine or a game of Kill Team or a, mm-hmm. something else at um, the same time. So it's good to just have a variety of things available. It is. Uh, and, but, you know, see, if I sat there and played just British paratroopers for the last five and a half years, I'd probably be very over it. Yes. Probably. And we will talk about what you're working on now. But yes, uh, which isn't paratroopers, which is, yeah, a nice change. Um, John, you said you have only been in for a couple of years. Um, but in that couple of years, do you think you're more into the, again, you're a man who spends a lot of time converting, a lot of time painting. Um, but I know you also enjoy some games. What, what, what is the aspect for you? So I would say I'm probably at this point about 70% hobby, 30% game, um, if that. Um, so back in the 90s, I was 90% about the game, you know, whatever I was playing. I fielded an awful lot of grey plastic or bare metal um, and was just really interested in just playing games. But um, certainly I mean, this started as as for me, the, my recent, you know, coming back to the, the to tabletop wargaming very much started as a bit of an art project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I mean, that's, I love playing with, with painted armies on really nice terrain against painted armies. Um, I have, I mean, I've, I've got three little kids. I do not get very much opportunity to play games. Right. Um, so most of my engagement with wargaming is is the hobby side it is painting and so forth and thinking about how i'm going to use these things when it if and when i get the chance to actually play a game but um yeah definitely the the weight of my time and focus now uh is on on the hobby side of things and um and when i do play like yeah look i um still like games i i still have a competitive side to me but i um you know much rather uh you know um play in a friendly environment um and uh exactly you know uh i think i've i've heard tabletop wargaming described as a collaborative art project and i really like that (laughs) uh as a as a a descriptor you know that at the end of the day what you're doing is you know, if you just wanted to play a game, you could you could play a video game. But you know, what you're doing is is creating a, a three-dimensional you know 
art project uh, with with other people, and it's uh, that part of the hobby is is probably what uh, what excites me the most. That's a beautiful comparison. I've never heard it described as that, but you're absolutely correct. Yeah, it wasn't, but that's not mine. I don't know who said it first, but you know, I <laughs> I agree. I, I heard it and I thought it was great. You heard it first here, guys. John invented it. You heard us say it here. That's exactly what I said, yes. Yes, exactly. Well, Dave, I've been watching your incredibly prolific, uh, I don't even want, march through your your backlog of miniatures during COVID lockdown. Um, You are truly... Unemployment has its benefits. (laughs) I guess. Man, you are cranking through things on Paint All the Minis. You're all over the place. I'm constantly liking things. Um, Dave, would you say that you're more of a game guy or a painting guy these days? Oh, look, I think I'm more hobby than gaming and, and probably always was. But, oh, look, I, I really do enjoy rolling dice. And the mm-hmm. spectacle of, of themed armies on a matching table yeah. is is really glorious, you know. And, and then you get a bit of, you know, laughing and moderate shouting going on. You know, it's great. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the gaming as well. So um, there's a feedback loop there, isn't there? One there informs is. the other. You're right. And I'm glad that you said, given that we've played a lot of games, I'm glad that you acknowledged my um, <clears throat> moderate shouting. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's not unique to, to, to the people here no, in know. this virtual room. You know, exactly. it's, it's, it goes with the hobby, I think. It does. Uh, it does. But my wife would tell you that I'm shouting probably right now. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> on that note, Lee, uh, I did tease this earlier. You are working on a few things, but one of the things for Bolt Action uh, is very exciting because it's not paratroopers. You are working on a brand new army and have been for a little while, and it's not one commonly seen on the tabletop. Tell us about what you've been working on, brother. Is this my World War II or my post-World War II one? Uh, I was talking about your World War Two one, but okay. I t- I completely forgot about your Korean War. Please get tell us about both. Uh, well, currently on the painting desk that I'm looking at right now is uh, Korean War. Um, so effectively, I suppose well links back to my other World War Two project. Uh, just doing an American Army. Effectively, I'm just adding a heavy tank so a pattern to the force. And I ordered the new Nisai um, box that Warlords just produced, mm. which effectively is using the new American plastic sprues. Uh, I suppose they've been out for a little while now, mm-hmm. uh, but with newly sculpted heads. Um, so I've got a box of those winging their way to me as we speak. Nice. So I'll use those to bulk up my units of infantry because you can take up to three local forces guys in a unit mm-hmm. the american list uh, effectively for each one you take they're just armed with rifles you start the unit starts with a pin at the start of the game so tossing up on the maths and theme of adding an extra three bodies to each unit to start with three pins go for a rally roll should remove them first turn mm-hmm. i'll try it out see how it goes yeah uh, but yeah just the option there up something slightly different and i'm doing the pattern with the um tiger painting on it so so cool painting yellow panels is taking a little bit but i'm up to the point of adding stripes so that should be finished in the next couple of days how i go with time but you're adding this to your world war ii american force which is buffaloes right 
Yeah, so I've been working, it's probably, uh, I think we're at two years now, I've yes. been working, chipping away at this one. Uh, so I started building a Buffalo Soldiers, so the US 92nd Infantry Division, uh, which was a segregated uh, division that was deployed into Italy mm-hmm. uh, in 44, I think it was September 1944 they got deployed in. Uh, they basically ran up the West Coast uh, sort of doing the, pushing the Germans back as they were sort of trying to recapture Italy. Uh, so they were the only uh, segregated combat unit deported to fight in Europe um, from an African-American point of view. The mm-hmm. Nisai were the uh, Japanese heritage unit and they, I think it was a 442nd. Did they in Italy the whole time? I thought the they Buffaloes were... The Buffaloes did. The Nisai were deployed in France originally. Oh, and then okay. they were, up, yeah. Okay. yeah, so that they were deployed into France originally and then they did quite well there. They pulled them out, refitted them and then deployed them into Italy to support with the Buffaloes because they deemed the Buffaloes to not be performing as well and didn't have enough combat experience because they came in quite late in the war, Yeah, effectively. Uh, so, yeah, I've been building an Italian uh, listing based off uh, that and... So I think effectively the theatre list I've used as a base, you can only take regular infantry units, mm-hmm. so no vets. Um, and, but I get two bazookas. That's, that's really the difference. So I've built the core force around four squads of riflemen, uh, an LT, uh, I've got a medic. Uh, there's a, two bazookas. And then I've added in a medium mortar and a Sherman tank. So I've got that because I was supported by one of the armoured regiments as well. So I've added that in. And then I've also painted up a few other things. I've done an AT gun, an MMG, artillery spotter or aircraft, I suppose, for the Americans because you can call it in twice. That's probably Mm -hmm. a better choice. And, yeah, that's sort of where it's at. And when I, th- when I was designing this army and thinking about it, I wanted it to be able to fit into a, into a single case. So the local company, Knights of Dice, produces custom-made foam trays. You can get stuff cut to your specifications and to fit whatever you want. And they've got a couple of bags they make that are quite nice, um, sturdy bags. Mm-hmm. So actually, when I was planning the army, I thought about how I was going to actually transport it and so I've effectively built it so the most of the troops fit in the in one of their standard troop trays, and then I've got a deeper tray, had it actually custom cut to fit space for the tank, the artillery, uh, the AT gun, the the mortars, the spotters, the extra guys, and an actual space there that fits my tape measure and my dice in the awesome. compartment as well. So I literally all I've got to do is literally grab that out of the cupboard, and in the top it fits my mini rule book and my templates and my dice bag and it all fits just in a one little sort of slightly larger handbag sized thing i can literally pull that out and go play i don't need to worry about grabbing something else out the cupboard or where's my dice or any of that everything just fits so i built that army specifically around that concept because um i also want it to be light so it's mostly plastics and resin stuff there's very little metal in it uh, as opposed to my british paratroopers which are predominantly metal i've got a lot of vehicles a lot of mm-hmm. i've got literally every potential option you can take in a paratrooper list 
and it's a much bigger bag it weighs a lot more um mm -hmm. so you know if i've got to travel somewhere to go play it's it's much easier to just grab the little bag and go yeah man you are officially an animal for doing that. But anyway, we'll we'll continue. Yeah, I just I try to make it as uh, as easy as possible to actually then play the game. Mm -hmm. so, and I like things to be neat. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> well, um, Dave, uh, hold on, not Dave, John. Um, you have finished your Chinese. Uh, you were working on Italians. So um, yeah, so. The my Chinese um, eight hundred army, so the communists are, uh, are well and truly done. Um, the I, I have my uh, Italian colonial army, my East African um, Eritrean uh, army, which is oh, at some stage I got to actually finish the bases on them, but they are certainly you know in a in a playable state and have been for some time. Mm -hmm. um, so my my current project in so far as as bolt action goes um is and and this is a very stalled project this is something i've uh, had uh been sort of looking at for, for quite some time and and um you know chip away at it every now and again but uh still quite a ways off but um i'm putting together a uh a china in burma uh, force for for um, late World War Two, so the um, uh, you know the, the combined off stuff. Um, so China along with um, US and and um, is it the ANZ? Am I making that up? Is that uh, so? Look, there's a. I'm not sure about um, ANZ other than the bank. Um, not but, ANZ. Uh, why? Why? Um, yeah. hmm. Oh, the X and Y. The X yeah, and y X and Y. Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's certainly how um, how the the bolt action Empire and Flames um, uh, describes it. So what I'm looking at, so I'm actually sort of theming it around, and I'm going to butcher this, and I really apologise for for my pronunciation, but um, the siege of um, Michina or something to that effect, mm -hmm. um, uh, which was which certainly had some former X Force troops uh in it also had some of Merrill's marauders or i think that was actually their final battle if i, I remember correctly because they were you know um yeah almost wiped out throughout the the campaign but um uh it also i believe and it's been a while since i did the reading on this but i, I remember correctly it also um there were the the burma banshees were present um and that's one of the big inspirations for 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 doing this is uh having the opportunity to actually paint up a, um, a Burma Banshee, which um, these uh, wonderful uh, planes with um, these ridiculous skulls uh, painted on the front, um, which uh, look amazing. So um, uh, that force will have a um, uh, an air component to it, very small air component, but, uh, and of course, the, uh, under the bolt action rules, the, um, uh the the um the x and y forces get uh us um uh, us planes basically so they they get the the us bonus rules on that uh which is a which is a nice touch so um yeah look that's uh that's 
what I've been working on, and that's um, you know, whilst it still comes from the the Chinese book, it's a very different force to the the communists yeah. that I've run previously. Um, has access to a lot of different troops, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully should uh, should be a real different flavour. Um, they also have quite a, a unique look. Uh, the uniforms are a hodgepodge of different um, different nationalities uniforms as well, and it uh, really makes for a, for a really interesting and unique look for the force as well, which um, yeah. is taking a bit of work, but uh, yeah, um, is uh, uh, is quite fun to to work on. Man, I have never heard of the Burma Banshees, and while you were talking, I very rudely Google searched it. Um, my God, they look cool. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. Kids, do that at home. Um, cool. Well, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to seeing that army on the tabletop, and we will definitely, uh, I will have to pull out my Japanese, and we'll have to go toe-to-toe on that one. Um, but uh, Dave, again, I've referenced this before. I've been seeing you paint all kinds of things on Paint All the Minis. Is there anything in particular that is on the table for you for bolt action at the moment? Um, I'm chipping away a little um, heavily converted partisan force um, nice. just very quietly as I feel like fiddling with Milliputton um, and green stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a boat, but what I'm actually working on right now is I found a box uh, in the cupboard of um, Hungarian, the Hongved division. Ooh. So I started a Budapest Defenders Army because uh, I found some late war Germans as well. Uh, uh, I think Black Tree Design does in mm-hmm. coats anyway. So anyway, they'll they'll go into a. So I'll do one of those mixed army things, and uh, in a complete contrast to Lee, who's got it all planned out. I started with I don't remember buying that box. Cool. What can I do with that? <laughs> um, Love it. Oh, here's something that goes with it. So I I'll, I think it'll end up. Uh, I don't know what tank I'll put with it. Maybe a Stug because I really like them. Or maybe mm-hmm. one of their new Nimrods because they look pretty cool. They do. Uh, maybe I'll splash out. But who knows? So, yeah, um, Budapest Defenders is what I'm working on at the moment. That's awesome. And uh, and then, like Lee, I'm looking at uh, extending my U.S. Army dudes into Korea, I think. I'll, I'll bolster them up somehow, but I haven't quite thought through what to do with them yet to make them more career mm-hmm. yeah nice well let, let's talk about now this is gonna be a tough one for uh for you guys because i've known you all for some years now and i know that you all have different interests spanning world war ii um and i know it's a, what day of the week and what time is it when you answer this question? But um, is there a particular theater or unit or conflict within the World War II general field um, um, under the umbrella, I should say, that interests you? Um, Lee, how about you? Is there anything that's grabbing you at the moment? Or, I mean, I know that you've had quite a few things that you've been interested in. Yeah, I think the biggest drive for me is the influence from uh, movies so and TV shows. So mm-hmm. my interest in British paratroopers can be pretty literally traced back to Market Garden mm-hmm. and you know, movies Bridge Too Far and things like that. So that's sort of where that sort of spark came from. The Buffaloes, uh, I think they're just something I just came across and just sort of piqued my interest and I went down the rabbit hole of reading up on them and researching and 
you know, there's Wikipedia for all its um, potential pitfalls for editing and such forth. It's actually a really good resource, um, particularly when you start talking about historical military stuff because there's just some crazy people there and they reference everything and you can go through and get an overview of a particular battle or a particular unit and then you can deep dive through the links in there and it just sort of expands out and there's usually a lot of reference photos and things like that. So I find it's actually a good place to start and then I generally follow up by um, finding some actual books to read. Um, the good thing about if you're looking at anything American is pretty much somebody's written about it at yeah. some stage. Uh, you know, they're big on those sort of histories, a bit harder on some other theatres of war. I mean, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the Pacific as well. Uh, I lived in Papua New Guinea for a few years. Uh, my dad walked Kokoda Trail um, till he slipped and did his knee and had to get evacuated <laughs> out of a little mountain village. Yeah. Um, that was that was good times. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've lived in those sort of things. I went diving uh, off North New Guinea, scuba diving, and, and there's... Uh, old plane wrecks or two plane wrecks and stuff under the water you can actually swim around and check out so i've done that sort of thing as well so for, for me it's it's really just lots of different bits sort of take my interest um i'll just sort of get onto something and i read a lot about it just sort of get a, an idea of it and then i'll move on to something else so there's not any particular area obviously europe's pretty heavily covered certainly in australia pacific's covered to a certain extent um, probably not to the extent it really needs to be in school. Uh, we don't cover history very well or much at all. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You really got to drive your own sort of knowledge in that area and it's just sort of one of those things. It is. Sort of pick stuff up. It is, it is. Um, now, John, I, I'm kind of cringing to ask this question because <laughs> I think we kind of know the most of the answer. Um, is there yeah. a theater that particularly interests you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the, the, the CBI, the uh, China, China Burma India Theater is the, um, the main one for me. Although I've got to admit, I am, I'm a bit of a wargaming hipster. Um, I, I love little obscure stuff that nobody's mm -hmm. running. Um, it's real pleasure to you know, dig deep into something and, and um, you know, go, oh, I've never seen this on the table. I'd, I'd, you know, love to put this one together. You know, I'd love to do up uh, um, some Ethiopian patriots, for example, mm -hmm. um, to go up uh, against my Eritreans. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. So we're uh, looking forward for the, um, the failed British invasion of Tenerife. <laughs> I know there's there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different directions. Uh, yeah, I, I know that. Um, I mean, Brad, I think on one of your podcasts, you, somebody was talking about like um, Italians in Japan, a little holdout mm -hmm. of Italians in Japan. Like, there's all these like really obscure little areas of the conflict that, um, yeah, yeah, would be. Yeah, so that stuff really grabs my attention. But, um, yeah, when it comes down to it, certainly my, my primary interest and, and um, ongoing focus is certainly uh, China. Well, your love of, a, of an obscure uh, conflict, you've come to the right podcast. <laughs> so there you go. And, Dave, how about you, man? I know that you, uh, you're you kind of all over the place, aren't you? Oh, 
Look, that, that, that's a, a reasonable um, observation. Um, I, I would call it broad rather than all over the place. Sorry. So I keep coming back to the Mediterranean theatre of operations. Oh, uh, nice. And, and yeah. I think that came out of um, uh, Trabuk and the, the um, uh, 9th Division, Australian Division Defence of Trabuk. Mm-hmm. But that grew into not just North Africa, but East Africa and, and, and right up Italy and the partisans in Yugoslavia. So all that. Um, that whole theatre, uh, it was the it was kind of the some of the first contact that that happened against the Italians, and and then there was fighting there right up till three days before the the armistice in in Berlin. So um, it's vast and complex, and uh, and a fascinating thing to dig into, and also it's one of those ones where it gets the origins of the Second World War rattle around in that part of the world as well. And the, and the repercussions of the Second mm-hmm. World War keep rolling on past uh, the, the end of the Second World War and, and into today in that part of the world as well. So it's fascinating. Definitely. And we'll definitely have to do some podcasts about some of those conflicts because you just don't see it that often. Um, so many. <laughs> it's funny. World War II is this well, vast. The, the Americans weren't there so much. Well, but of course they were. And, and I was going to say, but they were. This yeah. Year and, uh, yeah. Well, at least some of them. Mm. Nice. Well, cool. Guys, we're going to do a quick bonus round because the hour is getting late. But I did promise Lee a question that he did not know the answer to. So, of course, putting him first in the firing line. Lee, if you could do any bolt action army uh and or any world war ii army for bolt action i should say either one that exists or one of those weird ones that would cost like five hundred dollars to do um or that no one makes models for right now what would your dream bolt action army be oh okay uh i don't think you could spend five hundred dollars on a bolt action army I think it's impossible. I'm kind of thinking about it. You are wrong. You are wrong, wrong. I was short of custom commissioned hand sculpted models. Yeah, I don't know how you could. Anyway. um, We'll talk later, uh, yes. I think I would probably do, and this has been something that's been bubbling in the back of my mind for a while as well a uh, Operation Sea Lion. Force, so early war mm-hmm. um, with the British Unionists, the Black Shirts, but with a contingent of German soldiers, so the either paratroops or naval forces mm-hmm. landing. So the invasion of Britain, what if? Um, but with local, you know, assistance from the, the buff. So that's the sort of a, a hobby model crossover kind of project, uh, which I think I would have to jam into a German list of some description to make it work. Nice. Cool. Um, Dave, how about you? Oh, yeah, well, Dave, sorry, I didn't mean to pass you, John, but we'll st- go, still go with Dave. Dave, what about you? Um, how about uh, the Indonesian National, um, uh, the Independence um, Army uh, of the Indonesians, um, something built around the Battle of Surabaya? Wow, that's a great answer. I know nothing about not what you World just War said. Which is not quite World War II, but yeah. it, it involved um, uh, um, Dutch and British forces and, and local Indonesians after the Japanese left. So cool. Nice. John, how about you? 
So I'm going to go for the obvious here, and I'm also going to go outside World War II and, and say, um, you know, if it was a dream project for me, it would certainly be Chinese Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and both sides of that conflict. Um, that's something I, I will get to one day, um, and I'm not entirely sure how I'll do it. But uh, yeah, if uh, if it was any any army at all, that's that's what I'd go for. Right on. Great answer. And I hope to play some of those games with you. Um, now, guys, uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you for joining for, for joining the, the Ghost Army podcast. Like, I think you guys at home uh, can hear the enthusiasm that these guys have. Oh, man, I've just thought of what the Dream Army should have been. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the Ghost Army. <laughs> ah, thank you. Nicely done. Uh, I have mentioned it on another podcast. I would love... I think that somebody has made an inflatable tank 3D print file. Um, <laughs> if they have that, I think, yeah, we need to do that. An armored company of inflatable tanks. Gold. Um, but guys, thank you very much. As you can tell, the new guys, uh, the new members to the Ghost Army cast have a lot of knowledge, have a lot of passion, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to see what they bring to the show because uh, we are back and we are going to be doing regular episodes of the Ghost Army. It will run roughly monthly like it has in the past. Of course, w- I mean, this has been a whopper episode, two hours Um, And that's just to get everyone in and to give everyone a chance to speak. Um, That will not be the case going forward. We are going to go back to the probably the shorter format, hour, hour and a half. But it will be with uh, some of the people you have heard today. uh, And we will cover the topics that we are passionate about. Um, So you will you might hear two guys one month and then another two guys the next month. Um, That is because a lot of the Ghost Army podcast Uh, have family and uh, it really makes it hard to do regular scheduled programming Um, but by having a larger crew of guys to draw from you are going to hear regular content uh, about bolt action and themed armies and cool conflicts uh, just you know from a rotating cast of characters and we hope that you've enjoyed the characters that you've listened to today Um, we know it's been a little bit on the let me tell you about ourselves uh, point of view, but we wanted to set the stage um, and we are calling this the ghost army episode zero. We know that the, that there have been quite a few episodes of the ghost army previous to this. And we have recently gotten access to almost all of them again. Um, starting next week, uh, I am going to start putting out in a classic episode of the ghost army once a week in addition to Cast Ice, the Cast Ice Network's usual uh, programming. Um, so you will get one bonus classic episode of The Ghost Army. Um, the new episodes will be coming out monthly on top of that. So there is tons of Ghost Army coming your way in the weeks and months to come. Um, because, of course, if you try and find the old episodes, you can't because the network is no longer there. But um, thanks to some friends in some low places... Um, and no, I'm not saying that you hang out in like Tasmania's bad actar. It's cool. We love you. Thank you very much. Um, we do have uh, a lot of great content to share with you. I just can't dump like <laughs> 23 hour episodes uh, on the network at once. Technically, that would be very bad. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. 
uh, I think it is about time that we call it a night. Uh, we know that in the world right now, uh, things we're really far apart, and it is easy to feel disconnected. But um, we hope that a lot of what we do here is uh, reminiscing about things that we love uh, and talking about, you know, themed conflicts uh, that, that, that strike that passion with us. And uh, hopefully it does that for you as well, wherever you are. Stay safe, guys. Good night.
ちょっとどうしたい？